What is going on, guys? And welcome back to the Freedom Falls Podcast, the only podcast in the world that provides free living and happy thinking. We are back on another episode on this beautiful Saturday morning, uh, the weekend after Halloween. I hope you guys had a great Halloween. I had a pretty good one, I would say. I went to uh, a Halloween party with uh, my good friend, and uh, we enjoyed dressing up as... What did I go as? Um, firefighter. Dressed up as a firefighter. And I've got another Halloween uh, party this weekend, so we're whipping back out the firefighter outfit. You already know. Um it has been, let's see, it has been probably close to three weeks uh, since I last did the 31st episode, and the reason of my absence, long story short, is uh, I just got overwhelmed with a bunch of work, and I was like, you know what, we, we need to uh, decompress a little bit, and it's nice to take a break every once in a while, so that is what I did, and I took advantage of just taking a little bit of time off, for, like school and everything, and it was it was just nice to chill out for a little bit. Um, but I am feeling a lot better as far as uh, when you heard me the last episode, and I'm ready to get back into episode 32 here today. Today is a special episode because not only are we returning on this wonderful platform, um, but I am having my first ever guest here on the podcast 30-something years later, or <laughs> 30 years, 30 episodes, 30 episodes later, um, good friend of mine. Fellow car enthusiast from high school, former Air Force veteran, my good buddy, Eric Livingston. What up, brother? What is up? Now, the reason that uh, I wanted to bring Eric on the podcast is he had an interest on my last episode, which, uh, last episode, what did I talk about? Life lessons. I told uh, a couple stories from high school um, that have kind of like stuck with me throughout the years. And, you know, I've kind of related those principles or whatever to uh, the type of stuff I've I've done now as far as like college stuff and just dealing with people. Um, but I definitely think it'd be interesting to hear a couple of stories from Eric that I've, you know, I've known him for a while and he's uh, he's done some time in the Air Force and all that stuff. I have no experience in the Air Force, um, but I can I can uh, kind of assume that he's got some pretty good stories that also aid him in life also and uh, hopefully he uh you know he's down to talk about it a little bit so eric how you doing good man how are you i am big chilling my brother um so yeah do you uh just off the top of your noggin you got some you got some uh life lessons that just come to mind um i think one of the biggest things that I've learned, especially in the Air Force and just the past few years, is I think instead of learning from your mistakes, which you should, um, study others, you know, like who you're around or what goes on. Yes. Um, yeah. If you see something that happened to somebody else that was, you know, not planned or they kind of, you know, goofed up, whatever, you know, just kind of pay attention to that and be like, all right, well, just in case that happens to me, I will not do that. Yeah. No, you're definitely right. I, um, I'm totally with that idea of like not personally doing the mistakes. I mean, I feel like it's a better learning experience because it's like a firsthand thing, but I totally get that as far as like watching others and kind of learning 
how they mess up and you're like, okay, now I know not to do that. You know, it definitely is a, a good learning experience. Cause I grew up with like, I don't know, not the best kids. Uh, you know, my friends were kind of, kind of bad as far as like middle school and stuff. And as long as you don't wrap yourself into trouble, it's kind of, it's really useful to watch others and uh, take what you can from that. Right. Yeah. With, uh, the job that I had in the Air Force, I was a F-16 crew chief, so uh, mistakes happen a lot. But with how attention to detail the job was and how crucial it was to get the job done perfectly, yeah, um, yeah. obviously, you know, nobody's perfect. I messed up a whole bunch of times, and I kind of learned from that. A lot of people, other, a lot of other people learned from that as well. So especially in that type of environment, like if you... You know, hear about something which you will, because if you mess up on something minor with something on the jet, then, you know, everybody will know about it. So it's kind of right. like advertising in itself. Like it's just something happened. You're just like, okay, let's not do that. Right. Yeah. I bet a bunch of like quality control goes on as far as like double checking that people actually did their work and, uh, withholding them to their duties you know i feel like that's very important especially in your environment yeah that that happens a lot because we do have uh quality assurance it's they're basically um higher ranking ncos uh non-commissioned officers uh that have been for a good amount of time um usually they'll be maintainers as well they'll in the early years of the Air Force, they'd be doing the exact same job that all the younger guys are doing or whatnot. And then they get appointed the quality assurance job because of all the experience that they dealt with. And they get taught a little bit more as far as like, hey, you should uh, double check this, um, double check upcoming inspections, whether this jet should not be flying with this defect. You know, they. As a maintainer, you know, my job was to inspect the jet, make sure it was good, but you also had quality assurance to have another eyes, like set of eyes on it, you know? True, true. So is it like the upper guys, you know, they've already done that type of work and they know what problems can arise and such. So they kind of look over what, what's already been done and like, okay, okay, that's good. That looks good. Right, yeah, yeah. It's guys that have been in like 10 plus years, tons of experience, tons of situations that you thought would never happen but you know anything could happen true especially with especially with a jet that's almost 40 years old like you get some of the most random things that happen <laughs> yeah no i bet i bet there's been like fuel leaks some like duct work that's come loose like i feel like jets are complicated but like also simple because they've been around for so long and they've been remanufactured and a whole bunch of stuff. And, uh, you know, obviously the technology has uh, definitely improved since uh, the earlier wars. So, but a lot of the old um, principles and such, as far as like the mechanical works goes, I feel like that's all pretty much the same as far as like hydraulics and stuff. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, with uh, the F-16, it kind of started the whole fly-by-wire. Basically, um, the F-15 is different. Um, it's mechanically high, uh, hydraulically operated, so you operated something that was mechanically operated with the, with the hydraulics. 
And with uh, the F-16, it basically flew on a ton of computers. So, oh. kind of, yeah, yeah kind of started the whole, um, what you call it. Um, basically, it started a new era of fighter jets. Basically, you had the older ones that were, you know, going past like Vietnam and then into the Cold War and then other wars that were occurring and then the F-16 kind of took a new step forward it was uh, it was created to become a more affordable f-15 because the f-15 was just so expensive to maintain and to keep up with that they needed a fighter jet that was a lot more affordable that could do almost the exact same thing as the f-15 and like i said the f-16 has been around since the early 70s and well, what I've heard, they're going to make a new, uh, brand new uh, generation of F-16s because some of the newer fighter jets aren't cutting it. So wow. Well, I knew there was a there was a new maybe F-18. Am I saying that right? Yeah, F-18. Um, it's like the newer sure. model. I'm, I'm something like that. Because yeah, they the uh, EX just came out. Really. Dude, that sounds yeah, badass. That just sounds cool. EX. Yeah. I mean, it's it's basically the same thing, just better avionics, just more upgraded, newer goodies that from the previous generations of F-15s when the engineers like figured out all the little downsides and weak points of the jet, they're just like, all right, let's uh, make another one, but let's make sure it's not like the previous, you know, like what I was saying with learn from uh, other people's mistakes and learn from past mistakes and make sure stuff like that doesn't happen again. And you yeah, a hundred percent did everybody. Right. Did you see any, like any like catastrophic failures while uh, you were serving? Um, I really wouldn't call them catastrophic. Because, I mean, nobody was ever hurt or, you know, nothing was ever too badly damaged. Um, you didn't see, like, a wing just break off midair? <laughs> no, no. So, funny story. My um, my buddy just went to Korea, uh, Osan, uh, South Korea. Oh, yeah? And his job, he's basically uh, on a tow team. He's uh, kind of, like, on an alert status to where... He's just on standby just in case there's an emergency that happens on the flight line that he has to go pick up a jet, tow it back to the flight line or, you know, whatnot. But mm. there, was actually, there was actually a jet that just got off uh, Hangar Queen status. Um, it was getting rebuilt for a new wing. And the flapper on basically unhooked itself and was sticking straight up is that the part that like adjusts in the back you know on the back side of the wing it kind of like modulates yeah. a little bit yeah it's on the very uh back of the wing and basically it goes up and down and um yeah it unhinged itself and it was literally sticking straight up yikes i don't know how that happened there is a huge investigation about that, but you know, somebody messed up and that's just, you know, 
it happens, like I said, but there'd be plenty of days when I was out on the flight line, my jet would just go up or somebody else's jet would go up. And then five minutes later, you would have the, the flight line expediter who's pretty much the boss of the flight line. He ensures all maintenance gets done. He knows pretty much every single detail of what's going on that day. Right. Um, yeah. You would get called back like five minutes later, like, Hey, you're, uh, your jet has engine vibrations. Um, it's coming back. Might need to do an engine pull or, Hey, you're, uh, you probably hit a bird on takeoff. So, uh, yeah, he's burning fuel before he lands and, uh, yeah, just inspect it to make sure it didn't suck up a bird, which wow. happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I bet that would happen a lot. Cause I hear, right. I guess I read a bunch of stories as far as like birds getting sucked into like airplanes or whatever but i bet that happens a bunch with jets just because they're going so fast you know yeah there's a there's a pilot in afghanistan who hit three birds at like the same time luckily luckily he didn't suck one up and we had to do an engine pull for that so none of that happened you just saw you know the leftover parts of the bird like all over the canopy and then you could see it splattering all over the wing and all that it was a uh, pretty uh gruesome as far as that goes yeah do they have like air intake systems for um for jets you know you know the under part underneath the cockpit they have like the the duct where i guess the air gets sucked in and it creates like thrust or whatever do you have like air intakes like you know like little nets up up at the front from preventing like big objects from going through no we don't so it's just the intake which is just a big hole and then a few feet from behind it is the engine itself so whatever it sucks up it sucks up wow that's crazy open net turbo setup just just straight air all the air you can get right yeah, basically. Have you ever uh, ran into problems as far as like holding people accountable? You know, like a, a guy who's working on a jet says like, hey, you know, I did something, but they might just kind of, you know, not do it thoroughly. You know, I mean, obviously, that's why you have inspectors to uh, to just double check that they're uh, holding up their end of the bargain, you know, but have you ever ran into like issues to where like someone didn't hold someone accountable and it's like, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta be on to people to make sure that they're uh, doing what they need to do. Yeah. That also happens a lot to where you'll be uh, turning over somebody from day shift and you kind of look at the jet and you're just like, yo, what, the heck <laughs> yeah like, you gave me a mess and you probably had more than enough time to get at least some of this started and yeah there's there's a fair share of people that i've worked with who didn't want that job didn't care for it so it shows with their work so true yes yeah like they don't even like care to be there and it kind of reflects on their work yeah yeah I uh um, the Air Force. Yeah, with the Air Force it's it's not limited to jobs because there is a whole bunch of jobs that you could choose from in the Air Force, but 
the ones that are uh, needed the most are definitely maintainers, you know, security forces, stuff like that. And so a lot of these guys that become maintainers didn't even choose it. They kind of just got like, um, sucked into a open contract and they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, let's do this. You know, you get this bonus, uh, this, this job's super cool. You get a lot of good benefits and like you learn a lot of cool stuff from it. And people are like, okay, sure. Why not? And then uh. they get to it. It's nothing like the recruiter explained it to be like, that's pretty much every job in the air force. Like the, yeah. recruiter, will, the recruiter will be as something, make it sound cool on paper. And then for the most part, if it's not what he expected, you'll probably hate it. Yeah. Um, for me, I knew exactly what I was getting into because it was the job that I wanted. You know, there's the Air National Guard base here in Tulsa. They have the F-16s. I see those things flying all the time. So I was just like, tell my recruiter, I was like, hey, if there's a job where I'm able to be around F-16s all the time, sign me up for it because that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, no, that is awesome. Um, especially if you... Uh... Like, I've heard if you do your ASVAB and you, like, score pretty good on it, you can pick the job that you want. And if, like, you don't do as good as they would like, they appoint you a job. Yeah, that's more that's or less. Accurate. That's pretty accurate. So the ASVAB is basically just a placement test on simple knowledge. I mean, I almost want to compare it to the ACT. Really? From whenever I took that. Yeah, because... All it has is just math, science, English, writing, mechanics, basically just normal core class stuff, hmm. which is kind of weird. So I guess judging based off your knowledge of, you know, simple like core classes that you might have taken in high school, yeah, they judge off that. So, I mean, I did pretty well in the mechanical portion, pretty well in the science and I mean, I scored decent, but yeah, a lot of the a lot of the more advanced jobs in the Air Force, like if you if you score high on the ASVAB, then you know you're pretty set. But sometimes there's no like guarantee whether you'll get that job or not. True. Because whether there's a need for it or not. Right. You could get lucky. You could get a job that's uh, you know open. You might have to wait a bit longer for your uh, basic training date. But hmm. I mean, what I, what I tell people, as long as you get what you want with like an Air Force contract or with anything, if you got to wait a little bit, like there's nothing wrong with that. As long as you, you know, you have something set and that's what you want to do. I mean, hey, you know, just be patient. You know, it'll come around because better to wait a little bit longer and get what you want and then rush into something and then get something that you absolutely hate and you gotta be doing it for the next four to six years until yeah. your contract ends a hundred percent yeah no that's that's a hundred percent true yeah yeah unhappiness is definitely a product of uh you know wanting to rush in hey you know you get a thirty thousand dollar signing bonus in a in a camaro you know if you just uh you know, just, but yeah. Um, do you have to do like advanced testing for like, you know, kind of a more, uh, 
don't know how to put it more like advanced job, you know, is, you know, you do your ASVAB and they're like, all right, what, what kind of job do you want? Like to start off? Is there a way to like kind of move up? Like if you wanted to do like aerospace mechanics, you know, assuming that you don't have like a degree or anything, you know, you're just like a high school recru- recruit. I'm guessing you have to do more testing besides the ASVAB to get those higher up jobs. Yeah, definitely. Um, so to go into that, you obviously take your ASVAB, you get a score, and then based upon your score, you get to list the jobs and whatever sounds interesting to you, you pick it and you sign the contract. And then once you graduate basic training, uh, you basically go to your uh, tech school. So it's kind of just a giant course based off uh, what you're about to do for the next few years. Mm. And so that's what I did. Um, graduated basic training. I went to Shepard Air Force Base in Texas. And basically everything that I was going to be doing on the F-16, they taught me in about five months. And wow. It, you, uh, you do a lot of book work. You do a lot of studying. And then you do the hands-on portions, like the whole mechanical hands-on aspect of it. Right. And... This, uh, this surprised a few people when I told them, but there are quite a bit of people that actually fell out of tech school. So, yeah, I mean, I bet it's not easy. No, it definitely isn't. Like I, I struggled a bit. Uh, I had to find different ways to learn how to study because there is just so much like information that they throw onto you and they just, they expect you to know it because you know, it's the military there a little less sympathetic than a normal uh, college institution, you know, right? like you need to know this and you didn't know it like now, because if you don't, then we're either going to assign you a new job and you got to relearn everything all over again, or we're just going to kick you out. And I do know a few people that actually got kicked out of the air force, the entire air force, because they wouldn't do, you know, satisfactory even, yeah. I mean, it makes so, sense, you know, I mean, they're looking for people that are determined to do whatever it needs, uh, you know, whatever needs that they're needing. And if you can't do, you know, nose to the grindstone book work, you know, how are you going to do in your actual job when it comes time to get work done? So it's understandable, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's the, ironically, I joined the military because I didn't want to go to college or at least yet anyway. But yeah. I joined the branch that does a lot of schoolwork, so that was kind of ironic. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Do you think you think the Air Force does like most book work out of all the branches? Um, I would say so. The Navy probably has a bunch of jobs too because they do a lot of technical and mechanical work on some of the ships and submarines and all that. So right. they're pretty good with that type of stuff too. But yeah, comparatively speaking, like if you put the Air Force next to the Marine Corps, they always tell you in boot camp that every Marine will tell you, um, every Marine first is, a, is a, every Marine is a rifleman first. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what kind of job you have, whether you're a vehicle mechanic, whether you're a crew chief on F-35s and Marine Corps, whether you're infantry, They'll always teach you um, simple, like, combat 
techniques. Mm. They'll teach you how to shoot a gun. They'll teach you how to uh, fight with just what you got. They'll teach you survival. They'll teach you all this other stuff. So yeah. compared to the Air Force, like we do have spec ops to where you're basically in combat. They teach you how to be a war fighter on the ground. Uh, you parachute out of uh, planes, helicopters. It's almost spec ops for the Air Force is basically like a Navy SEAL for you know the Navy. Yeah, you do all the cool combat stuff, but yeah, dude. Like as far as Air Force goes, if you're book smart, like it really benefits you a lot. Yeah, sounds like because it. I'm gonna be honest. When I was in the Air Force, I've only shot a gun maybe three times really that was just yeah that was just refresher courses too like so taught me how to shoot an m16 then right before my deployment they got me on uh the m4 course mm. and then as far as like hand-to-hand combat like we learned a little bit in basic training but other than that like they save it really for the marines <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's like they really teach you job specific stuff like oh you're a fighter jet mechanic why do you need to know how to uh jump out of a plane and then go break in this building and then you know get into a firefight like yeah your job is to fix this jet like leave it to somebody in infantry to take care of this like we didn't train you to do this so there's no point you know yeah i mean it completely makes sense they do train you like all the basic stuff, like worst case scenarios, something does happen. You kind of get the idea of what you should do. Yeah. So, yeah. No. So it's more like analytical problem solving and like a lot more mechanical, I guess you would think. I would think the Navy is like that too. Cause like you said, they're, they're doing a lot of mechanical work on the ships and stuff. I mean, I bet Navy and Air Force go hand in hand as far as like aircraft carrier work and uh, a lot of overseas stuff. Yeah, occasionally. Um, mostly the Navy will work with the Marines more than anybody else. Really? Yeah, the, the Marines will work with the Navy as far as, you know, their transportation. The Marine Corps is the Department of the Navy, so they... They're always stationed with each other. If you're at a naval base, you'll see some Marines. If you're at a Marine base, you might see a few um, sailors there too. Mm. Wow. Yeah, the Air Force kind of does its own thing. Like, we don't really do aircraft carriers or anything. We just have a base where we have our jets, and that's about it. Wow. Is aircraft carrier thing more like Navy? Yeah, it's pretty much all Navy. That's cool. Have you ever done any type of like parachute training? I heard you mention parachutes earlier and I'm like, dude, I could totally see Eric just hopping out of a plane. Gun ho. Air Force um, never really taught us anything about, you know, parachuting or anything. Because I know the Army has airborne school, which they basically teach you how to jump out of a plane and that's, you get your patch and you're airborne. Yeah. But... The first time I ever went skydiving was with the U.S. Army Golden Knight parachute team. So, geez, that just sounds so cool. That was pretty cool because 
it was a random selection too. Just one day I was at work and somebody just came out to me and was like, Hey, um, report to this building. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I showed up and had the golden Knights army parachute team. There was a banner on the building. I was like, I'm at the right building. And they're like, Hey, uh, yeah, you've been selected to go, uh, skydive with us. I'm like, Oh, sweet. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> So you're on your base just working one day, and they're like, hey, come skydive with us. Yeah, basically. That is hilarious. Man, I'd like to I'd like to hear the comparison with that compared to, like, a traditional, like, you know, parachute place that, that's around, like, the country, you know, how they do, like, uh, like, there's little facilities, like, around town. I think there's one somewhere in Oklahoma. Uh, we did it for Zach's birthday. Um, you know, they have those little parachute places that you can go and pay like 200 bucks and they'll fly up and jump out of a plane at like 15,000 feet or whatever. But I bet you're with like actually military people. Like they know how to do it. Like, you know, I, I bet it's just a way cooler experience. Cause it's like, man, these dudes like do this for a living, you know? I mean, the parachute guys do it for a living also, but I don't know. It's cooler in a combat scenario, I guess. Yeah. Plus, you know, they, they, they do it every single day all the time like if anything goes wrong they probably will be the first person to know what to do in case somebody goes something goes wrong so yeah i felt i felt super confident i mean worst case scenario if something happened uh the military paid for it so you know whatever <laughs> yeah no you are 100 percent right yeah i bet i bet uh the local parachute places don't have as good as insurance um yeah but yeah no, you're 100 percent right. As, as far as anything going wrong, you know, I bet, I bet instead of reserve shoots, they got four reserve shoots, you know. Yeah, I mean, something like that. Something they, like that. Yeah. They, Let's they see. Kind of broke down the entire parachute, like details of it. They're like, oh yeah, if this doesn't work, then pull this. If that doesn't work, then yeah, just pull that. If nothing works, which has never happened before. <laughs> knock on wood um yeah you just uh salute the world and say bye yeah seriously oh that's gnarly i'm guessing you uh you went tandem with someone right yeah yeah i've heard you got to do like just like a little bit extensive training uh if you want to solo dive or whatever but i've known a few people that have solo dive and it doesn't look that bad but i don't know if i ever would if i ever go skydiving i'm definitely tandeming first because I do not trust myself, um, you know. I, I bet I would be freaking out too bad, just like taking it all in, and like pretty soon I'm like a thousand feet above the ground, and I like forget to pull the chute, you know. Yeah, happens. I, I, don't quote me on this, but I, I think for the Army's parachute team, I think you got to do like 200 solo, not solo. Um, yeah, do 200 jumps with somebody else before you could do it solo. Wow. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of training, a lot of uh, experience that you have to go through. Like, oh, hey, so yeah, we're gonna do this. You know, same deal. We're gonna learn this. Jump out the plane. You know, you know the deal. Yeah. And, and it's basically the same as anything else. You do yeah. something a whole bunch of times. You just it's second nature. So after yeah. doing it two hundred times or so, you're just like, oh yeah, well, you can jump by yourself now. So true. Yeah. 
Oh, that's just crazy. I bet those guys don't even get adrenaline rushes anymore. It's just yeah, like. I talked to them. I was just like, so after doing this like hundreds of times, does it still feel the same as first time? They're like, yeah, sometimes. But I mean, you're jumping out of a plane. You kind of get used to it after a while. But <laughs> that is well. crazy. I'm jumping out of a plane, you know, 15,000 feet in the air. That's. You remember, like, oh, wow, I'm skydiving. This is cool. This is my job. I'm getting paid to do this. Yeah. This is awesome. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, I can't imagine it. It takes a certain type of person to, to uh, commit to a job like that, you know? Right. <laughs> Jeez. <clears throat> so, I uh, I heard recently that, um, well, I mean, I guess you can talk about this if you want to. I don't know how much of a developed idea it is, but you kind of want to create like a little short book about life lessons. Yeah, that's been an idea for a while now, just because I really enjoy helping people and I feel in any situation, for the most part, if something happens, I feel like I can give my two cents and, you know, somebody will listen and take it all in. And just with all the stuff that I've been through in the past four years and like, you know, high school and all that stuff, like, especially with the military, like they mature you quickly and you learn a lot of stuff. Like besides like, you know, your, your day to day job, like stuff outside the military, you know, being away from home all the time, especially, you know, just getting out of high school, they expect you to grow up to, Learn from mistakes, you know, do things yourself, do it right the first time. Don't ask for handouts. Like, yeah, when like it's, it's a weird environment, but I'm incredibly like thankful that I did it. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I feel like you've seen a lot of faces and you've seen a lot of things and, uh, you know, all that's helped you and, you know, more experienced than most of the people on, on this planet. So, you know. Yeah, with this book, I mean, I, I have like the whole, I guess, layout set up. Yeah, the basic the premise. Of, yeah, yeah, the whole layout set up is just a matter of finding time to start typing up the words and everything. But my, my goal is to get, for the most part, like, 90% of the book finished by the time I head off to college, which is, I don't know, like, well, less than two months from now. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully I can find a little bit of time to crank out all that. Absolutely. With most college students, you know, they're just getting out of high school. They're still young. I feel like, I'm, you know, I might have something, some knowledge to spread to some of the kids that may have not thought of that before because you know we've all had times where we wish we knew this you know years back or uh, man i wish somebody taught me this or i wish yeah i would have known this five years ago absolutely especially as people get older you know you'd be surprised about how many people don't know as much as you think they would know at that age as far as like common sense and uh you know, basic financial information, you know, you know, like you said, 
the school system kind of pushes you along to just get your life started. But, you know, you can't get your life started if you don't know the basic principles of how to live your life and uh, how to go about doing things. Um, but I bet your military experience definitely fast tracked you a little bit as far as, you know, I, I bet you're you would be a completely different person if uh, you just did something straight out of high school, like get a job or, you know, go to college or whatever. Um, I feel like your experiences have aided you tenfold since then. Yeah, I feel that because what, what you call it? So, um, lose my train of thought. <laughs> oh, good. But, uh, yeah, when, when I joined, I was, you know, fresh, freshly 18. So by the time the first year went by, the first year was definitely the hardest. Yeah. Cause you know, you're getting into things, you're brand new. Everybody knows that you're brand new. So they're a lot, a lot harder on you. Yeah. They, they're like, Oh, this guy's a kid. Like we need to give him more discipline than the others. Cause he has no idea what goes on around here. So right. we'll teach him like, you know, that's the same with a lot of the, the, the younger guys in the air force with uh, less rank, like people with more stress will basically look at them and be like, Oh, this guy's brand new. He doesn't know anything. And the way that they teach you is just kind of, yeah. You think they should be more like practical about it, you know? Yeah, you think they'd be pretty understanding, which most of the time they are, but sometimes you will get the a guy who's just like, oh, what are you, new? You're, you're an idiot. Like, You don't know anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, there are people like that. Like, oh, you're brand new, so you're stupid, and I'm yeah. going to treat you like you're stupid. Yeah, no, exactly. I feel like that goes in in college a whole bunch, too, as far as, like, fraternities. You know, I feel like there should be a lot more respect as far as new people coming in, and you should give people a chance to, to prove themselves that they're not an idiot just because they're new. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah, we all, we all have to start off somewhere. Exactly. Yeah, like what do those people expect? You know, a person fresh in the military, like they're obviously not going to like know how to work on the, the high top tier jets right off the bat. Like who are you to give people know. trouble, you know? I don't know. Like, There's jobs like that where they trust some teenager to fix a – 20 million dollar fighter jet that's yeah even to this day i still think that's insane like how do they i don't know yeah <laughs> that's why they cram all that information in you in five months yeah and they but i would they feel like they would take more time to like make sure you understand it you know i mean i guess time is of the essence but you know i feel like yeah. doing the job right is a little more important yeah and like I said, the way the military does it, they want to teach you quick because you're spending money to teach you something. So they want to get the most out of you. Right. If they find out that they, they wasted a whole bunch of money on somebody who's not going to care, they're going to make it known, they're going to get rid of you. So I think the whole cramming a whole bunch of information like super quick and a short amount of time is kind of a good thing, like mentally. Because right. if you can't handle all that mental book work, 
Uh, don't expect to be on a flight line in the middle of Afghanistan when you're about to get attacked and you got to get a jet in the air in a few minutes, you know? Very true. Yeah. Because there's, there's two ways to see it. You know, there's the, there's a, there's a saying, if you can't do the simple job right, don't expect to do any better with the difficult task. Yeah, exactly. And so if you can't study your material, take a test, pass it, don't expect to be working on a multi-million dollar fighter jet in the middle of a foreign country where they're trying to kill you. Yeah. Don't expect to do any better. <laughs> exactly. I feel like, I mean, I, you know, a lot of people don't realize that's a reality, you know, um, yeah. before going into it, you know, like before you experience all that. But no, you're definitely right as far as cramming all that information. Like, you know, they're they're trying to see who can take the pressure and who can't. And they're definitely not losing anything by uh, replacing someone with someone who could uh, do that better, you know, so. Yeah, for sure. Well, Eric, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast. It was wonderful having you, and uh, you had a bunch of great stories to tell. And, uh, you know, I appreciate hearing them, and a lot of people other will too. So do you have any uh, final thoughts or anything? I do not at the moment, but I definitely appreciate you uh, having me on here. It's a fun experience. Yeah, no problem. We'll hopefully get you on the podcast sometime soon, you know. Uh, Eric, part two, I guess. Um, hey, I'm down. <laughs> but I think I think this was a great episode. You had some great stories. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to be back here on the Freedom Falls podcast, another episode on the book. On the book. So, Eric, I want to thank you again for coming on, sharing some great stories about your experience in the military and, uh, you know, how that kind of applies to you now and all that good stuff. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're wrapping the episode up here. I will see you guys next weekend. I don't know what day that is. I don't know. Thanksgiving's coming up. Eric, you got any plans for Thanksgiving? Um, I mean, just eat a bunch of food. Uh, my birthday is like two days afterwards, so I'll see how that goes. Is it really? Wow. Yeah. What day is it? What day is it? Yeah, like I think the six. So pretty sure that's when OU and OSU is having their Bedlam game, so I'm trying to figure out what to do with that. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah. I think that, yeah, that happens like the weekend of Thanksgiving or whatever. Yeah. yeah so whatever whatever goes down with that, uh, you know, goes down. But yeah. tickets are too expensive, so I'm just going to go to some restaurant or bar and just watch the game. A hundred percent. Go to like Buffalo Wild Wings. They'll probably be playing the game or something like that. Yeah, true that. Oh my gosh, yes. I completely forgot about Bedlam. The uh the OSU TCU game is next weekend, and I'll hopefully go to that. But um but yeah, no, you're hundred percent right on as far as those Bedlam tickets being expensive. But hey, college football is college football. So as long as as long as I'm watching it, you know, it's okay. I don't need to be there. Right. So there's Eric always, uh, there's always another chance to see something, you know? A hundred percent. Hundred percent. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up the episode. Um, I will see you guys next weekend. Same place, same time. You already know. I'll see you guys when I see you. Adios.